Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday 22nd of July 2021. From the news section. East Dunbartonshire Council claims all school gas certificates are in place, but won't let us see them, by Ruth Souter. East Dunbartonshire Council has claimed that gas safety certificates in schools across the region are in place and up to date, but the local authority won't let us see them. The body has said that in line with statutory requirements, all 42 schools have received their annual inspection. Council chiefs want parents and teachers to be reassured that the mandatory certificates are held on-site by staff and contractors, but they are, quotes, not typically made available to the public, close quotes. In March, the Glasgow Times submitted a Freedom of Information, FOI, request to view the gas safety certificates for every primary and secondary school from 2016 to the most present date. The council was, however, unable to provide the information. Joint Council Leader Andrew Polson said, East Dunbartonshire is home to some of the very best schools in the country, and the health and safety of our pupils and staff is paramount. We take enormous pride in providing a safe and nurturing environment for our young people and our workforce. We have previously stated that all gas certificates across our school estate are in place and up to date, with boilers having been fully inspected by qualified engineers. Regrettably, misinformation on this issue persists with unfounded allegations that certificates are not in place, leading to unnecessary distress. Joint Council Leader Vaughan Moody added, Should any member of a school-based staff be concerned, they should approach the head teacher who would be able to provide reassurance and, where necessary, the employee can view the appropriate documentation held on site in the Property 6 pack. We hope that parents and staff can be reassured by this, particularly following such a challenging year when there have been so many genuine sources of worry for parents and carers due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We always welcome and encourage those with any concerns with any aspect of our estate to raise it with it via the appropriate channels. It comes after a team of whistleblowers in the Council's Education Department exclusively raised concerns with us over the whereabouts of the certificates. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday 22nd of July 2021, from the News Section. Glasgow Cops Hunt West End Mugger Who Struck in Dead of Night by Hamish Morrison A man was mugged outside trendy West End bars in the dead of night. The victim was walking in Eldon Street at around 3am today when he was approached by the robber. He was threatened before handing over an unspecified amount of cash. The crook fled the scene in the direction of the River Kelvin and Kelvin Bridge subway station afterwards and thankfully, the victim was uninjured. The robber is described as being white 
around five feet and six inches tall. He was wearing a baggy black hooded top with grey sleeves and grey jogging bottoms. Constable Eden Crothers of the Glasgow Robbery Unit said, The victim was uninjured but understandably shaken by the experience. Our inquiries are ongoing and I would urge anyone who saw any suspicious activity on or around Eldon Street in the early hours of Thursday morning to come forward. We would also be keen to speak to anyone who may have dash cam footage or private CCTV. Anyone who can help is asked to call 101, quoting incident 0540 of July 22nd, or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111. That article was by Hamish Morrison. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday 22nd of July 2021, from the Opinion section. SNP must listen to workers' worries about city hygiene before COP26 by Eva Murray. For months, our city has been in the midst of a waste crisis, with overflowing bins, weeds becoming more evident in our city's pavements, our streets full of litter that lies for days, if not weeks, and fly-tipping becoming a more common sight in every neighbourhood. But we have an SNP administration still unwilling to admit that there is a problem. Instead, they are content to pin the blame on everyday Glaswegians, our constituents who are already doing all they can in their personal capacity to help clean up our city, but are being met with additional challenges at every turnaround. Whether it's the introduction of three weekly bin collections in the middle of a pandemic, or our cleansing workers left feeling as though they are at breaking point, with the morale of the workforce at rock bottom as the service faces further cuts and uncertainty. On Monday, GMB Branch 40, the trade union branch which represents many of Glasgow's cleaning workers, declared a major breach in health and safety with regards to the waste crisis within Glasgow. These are the workers on the front line every day in our neighbourhood and community across our city. A few weeks ago, I met with Chris Mitchell, Branch 40's convener, and spoke also to some of the cleansing workers. Many of them had been part of the workforce for many years, so had seen firsthand what the decimation of the service had done. Decisions made by the SNP administration in the city has increased their workload, but they are consistently seeing staff numbers getting lower with those who leave not getting replaced. The fleet of vehicles they use are dilapidated and no longer fit for purpose. One thing that struck me with those I spoke to, and in the letter GMB has published, is that they feel unheard and ignored. Policy and decision pushed through by the administration without any real thought or care for the impact on staff who are already struggling. In the SNP's 2017 Council Manifesto for Glasgow, they stated, we will engage constructively with trade unions to give our staff a fairer deal. However, the Glasgow Labour Group is hearing time and time again how many trade union representatives feel they're being left out of discussions, or even when they are asked for feedback, their often serious concerns are not taken notice of or followed up with actions. I definitely would not call that engaging constructively. This is the state of our great city in a year where we know the world's eyes will be on it. In November we are due to welcome leaders, environmental experts and activists from across the globe as we host COP26, 
the most important climate change conference the world has ever seen. But with less than four months to go, our city is in crisis. The reality of year-on-year cuts from the Scottish Government continuing to take its toll, and an SNP administration ignoring concerns of workers and unwilling to stand up to those in Edinburgh. Glasgow deserves better. That article was by Eva Murray. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday 22nd of July 2022, from the news section. Stobhill Hospital wins award for mental health wards by Katrina Stewart. Glasgow's newest hospital wards have been recognised with two prestigious awards. The Elgin and Appin wards at Stobhill Hospital are purpose-built acute mental health wards. This unique facility aims to help social inclusion by delivering rehabilitation, discharge and recovery services that promote independence and self-reliance. Health bosses wanted to provide welcoming and non-clinical spaces that give dignity to patients and increase equality. David Ross, project director at Glasgow-based Kepi Design, said, We wanted to create the best healing environment for patients and good working areas for staff, and we feel that all of our aspirations have been achieved, resulting in an extremely successful project. We're delighted that the building has had an immediate and positive impact on those for whom it was created, and that it has been recognised by our industry for setting new standards in design quality. Last month, we told how Glasgow Royal Infirmary had been named the top hospital in Scotland by US magazine Newsweek. It then went on to win the Golden Hip Award in recognition of its excellence in the care of patients who experience a hip fracture. Single-storey wards at Stop Hill are planned around calming courtyards, framing views of an existing Victorian water tower. Delivered through the height of the coronavirus pandemic, the necessity for enhanced mental health facilities is now more urgent than ever, with an anticipated rise in the need for mental health services. The £10.6 million development, a partnership between Hub West Scotland and NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, which opened in September 2020, has won Healthcare Development of the Year Awards 2021 for both the Scottish Design Awards and the Scottish Property Awards. The wards each provide a 20-bed adult ward and a 20-bed ward for elderly patients. The wards are designed to make best use of natural light and green space to provide a calm and healing environment, while the brick in the buildings reflects the heritage of the site, which dates back to 1904 when it opened as a poor law hospital treating destitute citizens. Tom Steele, Director of Facilities and Estates at NHS GGC, said, From the outset, we wanted these wards to provide access to the most effective and safe care and treatment for our patients, and we have more than met that brief. Thanks to our partners at Hubwest Scotland and Kepi, the design provides an oasis of calm, which allows for excellence in care in a stunning natural environment. We are delighted to have won this award, and I want to thank everyone who was involved in the design, commissioning and construction, not least the patients and staff in our engagement groups. Ian Marley, Chief Executive of Hub West Scotland, added, We are delighted to have partnered with NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde on this, the ninth project we have delivered together. The design of the new facilities has been carefully considered, 
to create a range of beautiful internal and external spaces that support the delivery of specialist and therapeutic services. We are thrilled that the quality of the design and its construction has been recognised. This article was by Katrina Stewart. Thursday, the 22nd of July, 2021, the Glasgow Times Lifestyle Section. Best Restaurants Glasgow, City's Best Places for Food and Drink Revealed. Glasgow Restaurants Power Rankings. Number 1, Naked Soup. The popular Kersland Street Hangout has introduced a new look continental cafe bar menu with extended opening hours and alcohol available in the evenings. Brothers Josh and Daniel Hanna have a devoted neighbourhood following for their homemade soup and loaded bagels that can now be enjoyed with beers, natural wines or a spritz cocktail. NakedSoupKitchen.co.uk Loot number two, loot and scoop. As the sun shines, the yearning for churros and ice cream grows. Form an orderly queue at Loot and Scoop on Great Western Road, or you could visit their new shop in Bears Den. Try filled churros with salted caramel sauce, strawberry gelato, or Scottish tablet ice cream. Good times. Loopandscoop.com. Number three, Treble Eight. Express. Owner Tom Lee launched their Hong Kong Street food menu on Byers Road as a sister venue to student favourite Dumpling Monkey. A grocery store with hot food to go or available for delivery. Order grilled chicken dumplings, char sui bazu, wong tong and kum po chicken. Instagram.com forward slash treble eight Express Glasgow. Number 4. Mesa. The pinnacle of the Deniston brunch. Brunch. Join them on Duke Street for creative and colourful plates. Recent blockbuster sandwiches to go have included grilled korma chicken, onion badgie, rocket and herb salad with Bombay mix or mozzarella stuffed lamb kofta, peach and harissa relish with Tatskatsky. Instagram.com forward slash Mesa underscore Glasgow. Number five, Partenopi. A new Italian bakery and coffee shop for Shawlands from owners Sarah Capaldi and Tony DiCarlo. Expect a mix of savoury and sweet bakes. The chocolate Guinness cake is popular alongside expertly made coffees and a small but perfectly formed sit-in menu offering a taste of Italy. Instagram.com forward slash Glasgow. Thursday the 22nd of July 2021 The Glasgow Times Lifestyle Section Glasgow Kid dressed as Indiana Jones invited onto Hollywood set. A young Indiana Jones fan left blown away by the Hollywood blockbuster's Glasgow film set, was treated to a special behind-the-scenes tour. Executives on the set were so impressed when they spotted Isla Neal's indie costume in the crowd they brought her behind, behind the barriers for a look around. Dad Alistair Neal couldn't believe their luck and said his daughter was thrilled by the experience. 
Alistair said, I took her to the Indiana Jones set last week where she saw the chase scene and was blown away. So I had an idea to make an indie costume for her and get some shots on the set. Last night when we turned up, they were running late with filming. We were just walking around getting great comments. Then a couple of executives saw her and asked if she had seen what was happening. They said, come with us and took us behind the barriers for a quick look at the set filming. She was thrilled to see the set with the actors in American police uniforms. She said, wow, that's so cool. The father-daughter duo from Mainswood were spotted having a photo shoot near the set with little Isla wearing Harrison Ford's famous ensemble. The pair were waved over by studio executives and invited behind the barriers for a look around. Isla had her photo taken with extras on set and was given a Mickey Mouse balloon used in the parade scene to take home. Alistair has a keen interest in cosplay and has taken part in the performance art for around five years and has passed his love for the hobby onto his daughter. The 52-year-old said, We both do a lot of cosplay together and have done for a few years now. I've been going to Comic Cons for over 30 years and took Isla to her first one when she was three years old. She saw the characters and wanted to dress up, so we went together and it's become a regular thing. She loves it. The father and daughter are planning to take some more snaps this weekend, but this time Dad Alistair will dress up as Indiana Jones' father, Henry Jones Sr., a character made famous by the late Sean Connery. They aren't the only ones taking in the glamour, with crowds of fans, celeb spotters and photographers going around the set over the past week. Streets in the city centre have been transformed into a replica of 1969 New York for filming of the flick starring Harrison Ford, Fleabag creator Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Narcos star Boyd Holbrook. It's understood the scene shot in Glasgow will be set against the backdrop of the parade held in the Big Apple to welcome back the Apollo 11 astronauts after landing on the moon. Thursday the 22nd of July 2021 the Glasgow Times Lifestyle Section La Pistina Chef for Celtic Star to open West End Deli No matter what you consider your favourite meal to be there aren't many culinary experiences that can compete with a plate of fresh homemade pasta. This belief is shared by chef John Trainer, who hopes that the opening of his new deli, La Pistina, will help revitalise the West End. The 30-year-old said, Byers Road is going through such a massive revival at the moment. There's Juicy, Cal Pal is just around the corner, and the Crab Shack who are opening to open soon. It feels good to be setting up as another independent business in a place where big chain restaurants haven't made it. I think the West End is going to be the place to go again soon. Due to open in mid-August, La Pistina will be offering a takeaway daily service with handmade speciality pastas as well as classic Italian produce. John said, people don't want to buy dried pasta. They want it fresh and homemade, which is what we'll be doing. 
to be honest with you, it's a skill set that a lot of chefs in Glasgow don't have at the moment. I've always loved cooking and eating Italian food. I like having something I can touch and feel when I'm making it. And I love that satisfaction you get from an amazing finished product that you've made by hand. More than enough to tempt you away from your sad supermarket pen and pesto dinner, Lapistina will specialise in all kinds of different handcrafted pastas. John said, we'll be offering lots of different shapes and sizes as well as filled varieties like ravioli. It's a daily setup where we'll weigh everything out so that you can come in and pick up as many portions as you need and dressings to go with it. At the same time, you'll be able to come in and have a great Italian coffee, pick up a sandwich or pastry, or choose some produce from our counter full of meats and cheeses. This impressive concept comes as no surprise given John's experience of working for some of Glasgow's most popular restaurants and cooking for famous football legends like Oddson Edward or ex-Celtic boss Pete Neil Lennon. John said, I was executive chef, porter and rye, and then the Finiston before going on to work in product development. Recently, I've been working on a contract with a football player, as well as opening a deli at the same time. It's been a very busy couple of months. Despite his star-studded CV, John says one of the key goals of La Pistina will be to think small and celebrate local produce from independent businesses. He said, I'm from Garfamalock myself, so it's important to me to have unique Glasgow brands in the deli. It won't just be pasta. We want to have a 5 to 10 mile radius section where people will know that the stuff has come from within that distance of Byers Road, featuring everything from honey to chocolates to alternative meats. We're showcasing Glasgow itself as much as handmade pasta. As the opening of La Pistina draws closer, John is looking forward to seeing his long-term life goal of opening his own space become a reality. He said, When I was 16, I actually set up a business, Isa, because I always had this dream that I would own my own restaurant. Now I have this opportunity to open somewhere with a great concept and location. I'm over the moon. We're really excited to build some momentum and bring something a bit different to the street. La Pistina is set to open on August 19th at 180 Byers Road. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 22nd of July 2021, from the opinion section, Chris McQueer, why I got the Garthamlock and Craig End water towers tattooed on my stomach. This is a column by Chris McQueer. I lived in Garthamlock until I was about seven or eight before moving down the road to Springboig. From my childhood bedroom window in Garloch Road, two structures rose up into the sky over the flats behind us. They were, of course, the Garthamlock and Craigend water towers. Their massive cylindrical tanks sit atop long spindly legs, making them look like something from the War of the Worlds, gleaming white when the sun would hit them. I have always been obsessed with them. I liked the one that was a lot taller than the other, making it look like it was standing beside its wee brother. Coming back from trips to Ear or Loch Lomond with my granda, 
You could see the water towers if you came off the motorway, like they were waiting for you, greeting like old friends. As a wee guy, I had no idea what they were for. Obviously, I was told they were water towers, but that meant nothing to me. On a walk one day to Huckenfield Lock with my mom and Doug, I requested that we go by the water towers so I could have a good close look at them. I was amazed to see that there was a door in each of the towers. That meant there must have been a way to get to the top, and I'd finally be able to unravel the secrets of those concrete monoliths. Obviously, access was denied to me by my ma, who told me to stop being daft. On a visit to see my great-granda, who stayed in Cran Hill a few weeks later, I was able to get a good look at another one of these water towers, the Cran Hill Water Tower. This one is square and brutal looking. At the bottom, it is guarded by a wire sculpture of Poseidon, God of Water. From a quick flyby in the motor, I could see the door at the bottom of this one as well, but letting my eyes drift further up the central column, I could see glass panels showing a staircase inside. Now I don't know what happened to in my brain at this point, I don't know how I arrived at this conclusion, but I thought straight away that the top of Canhill Water Tower was obviously a shop, a shop that sold jackets specifically. I asked that we go there to get my new jacket for going back to school one year, and was met with confused looks from my family and was instead whisked off to the forge. I also thought that when my auntie spoke about going to the dancing, it meant the Proving Gasworks for some reason, which looked to me like big futuristic nightclubs. Perhaps this shows I've always had a fertile imagination, or maybe it means my grasp on reality has always been quite tenuous. The various structures around Glasgow, like the ones I've mentioned, have always fascinated me, and I like to th- imagine that everyone from here had their own ideas about what they were really were when they were younger. Their own mad theories that they believed in steadfastly until adulthood and the accumulation of knowledge stole the fun of it from them. Last week, I got the Craig and the Gertlamot water towers tattooed upon my body. Something I've wanted to do for ages but was, to be perfectly honest, too much of a coward for a long time. I wanted them in my ribs, but, having already had something inked on one side of my ribcage, decided I wasn't ever going through that kind of bone-shaking pain willingly ever again. I elected for my stomach instead, just under my ribs. Sitting down in the tattoo place, the guy asked me if I was sure that that was where I wanted it. I, I said, on the ribs is too sore. He just laughed and said, oh mate, sympathetically. Seconds later, I was regretting this decision as he used the needle to draw the long straight lines of the tower. I felt like I was being sliced open. What are these, by the way? The guy asked me. I explained what sounded like I was dying, how they stored and supplied water for homes in the East End, and how I've always been fascinated by them. Just as the pain reached at unbearable levels, and I swear I started to see stars, it was over. I looked at it in the mirror and was chuffed to bits. I showed the tattoo to my pal, who has currently had one tattooed on him. Nice to be able to take a wee bit home, home wherever you go, he said. And he's right. That's something I hadn't thought about when I got it done. 
Now, no matter where I go or wherever I end up, I'll always have one of my favourite views there for me to look at. And that was a column by Chris McQueer. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 22nd of July 2021, from the opinion section, SNP must listen to workers' worries about city hygiene before COP26. This is the Labour View, brought to you by columnist Eva Murray. For months our city has been in the midst of a waste crisis, with overflowing bins, weeds becoming more evident in our city's pavements, our streets full of litter that lies for days, if not weeks, and fly-tipping becoming a more common sight in every neighbourhood. But we have an SNP administration still unwilling to admit that there is a problem. Instead, they are content to pin the blame on everyday Glaswegians, our constituents who are already doing all they can in their personal capacity to help clean up our city, but have been met with additional challenges at every turnaround. Whether it's the introduction of three weekly bin collections in the middle of a pandemic, or a cleansing workers left feeling as though they're at breaking point with the morale of the workforce at rock bottom, as the service faces further cuts in uncertainty. On Monday, GMB Branch 40, the trade union branch which represents many of Glasgow's cleansing workers, declared a major breach in health and safety with regards to the waste crisis within Glasgow. These are the workers in the front line every day, in every neighbourhood and community across our city. A few weeks ago, I met with Chris Mitchell, Branch 40's convener, and I spoke to, I spoke to some of the cleansing workers. Many of them have been part of the workforce for many years, so I've seen firsthand what the decimation of the service has done. Decisions made by the SNP administration in the city has increased their workload, but they are consistently seeing staff numbers getting lower with those who leave, not getting replaced. The fleet of vehicles they use are dilapidated and no longer fit for purpose. One thing that struck me with these, these people I spoke to and in a letter to the GMP has published is that they feel unheard or ignored. Policy and decision pushed through by the administration without any real thought or care for the impact on staff who are already struggling. In the SNP's 2017 Council Manifesto for Glasgow, they stated... We will engage constructively with trade unions to give our staff a fairer deal. However, the Glasgow Labour Group is hearing time and time again how many trade union representatives feel they've been left out of discussions or even when they're asked for feedback, their often serious concerns are not taking notice of or followed up with actions. I definitely would not call that engaging constructively. This is the state of our great city in a year where we know the world's eyes will be on it. In November, we were due to welcome leaders, environmental experts and activists from across the globe as we host COP26, the most important climate change conference the world has ever seen, but with less than four months to go, go our cities in Caritas, the reality of the year-on-year cuts from the Scottish Government continuing to take its toll, and an SNP administration ignoring concerns of workers and unwilling to stand up for those in Edinburgh. Glasgow deserves better. And that was a Labour View brought to you by Eva Murray, columnist. Evening Times, 
July 23. Lifestyle. Glasgow Memories. The Farm at the Heart of Postle Park. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Who remembers Postle Park City Farm? This little haven was a much-loved oasis in the north of the city until it had to close its doors in 1988. Our photographers captured toddler Claire Wilson enjoying the climbing opportunities afforded by the animals' pens at the attraction and classmates Claire McRoberts and Alexander Pickering, both 11, helping with a massive replanting exercise in the May of that year. Claire and Alexander were pupils at Wester Common Primary School who had volunteered to rescue some of the flowers from the farm's wildlife garden to replant them outside Possum Park People's Hall. Claire did not look too happy with Alexander in our picture although the photographer was not sure why. We also photographed Julie Ann Cowie, aged 10, from Primary 5 at Wester Common, who was doing her bit to help. It was the scene of extensive council house building in the 30s and 40s, amid plans to replace crumbling tenements in the city centre. Unfortunately, the heavy industries in the area began to close down in the 50s, leading to unemployment and a subsequent rise in social problems and crime in the area. The school closed a few years later and eventually burned down. Get in touch with times past if these photos spark any memories. We would love to hear from you. When you are regular at the city farm, what are your memories of growing up in Parcel Park? Report by Anne Fotheringham Evening Times July 23 Opinion Sky really is the limit for Covid holiday plans, says Dr Poonam Krishan. Like most people, I love my holidays especially the ones abroad. It's been one of life's luxuries that I realise I took for granted in times gone by, as I cried, yes, I cried, when yet again another holiday, so optimistically booked, had to be cancelled thanks to this pandemic. I do appreciate how fickle this sentiment must sound in the grand scheme of things, but I am sure it's one that many of you will resonate with. It has been a brutal and long 18 months, where repeated lockdowns and uncertainties alongside the daily grind has started to take its toll on us. I feel mentally and emotionally drained a lot of the time, feeling deflated each time plans that were the previous norm are shattered. I remember looking forward to going away before, but actually didn't realise how much until a few weeks ago when it became apparent that things were not back to normal at the speed we had hoped and that it was still not safe to travel to many parts of the world. 
As a doctor on the ground, I see just how much COVID is impacting people's everyday lives, for the complications of long COVID are truly devastating for many. The vaccines have been excellent in doing their job, as we see fewer hospitalizations and deaths compared to this time last year. But whilst that link between cases and serious illness and death might have been weakened, long COVID is a rising problem at hand. Also, we are seeing that it is still possible to contract COVID even if you have been double vaccinated and this is because no vaccine is 100%. I therefore concluded from all the data and evidence available to me that for us travel abroad right now was not safe. We all have to weigh up and make our own choices no judgment here. So I was gutted, two weeks away from the busy practice and staying at home to Potter didn't appeal to me after staying home for so long. We decided to road trip. We went to Sky for a few days and let me tell you, I was blown away by how incredible the break was. It is embarrassing to admit as someone who has been born and brought up in Glasgow, that I have never really travelled around Scotland much. Every holiday has been a venture out of Scotland, and I feel quite sad about this when I reflect back. You can take for granted the place you live, but no more. The drive up to Fort William, and then further on to Skye, had me in total awe. I lost count of how many times my eight-year-old and I shouted, wow. We were lucky with the heat wave, which just gave us the tropical vibes against the most majestic and dramatic landscapes of lakes, rivers, mountains and fields. A sudden sense of pride and heartfelt gratitude. This is my Scotland, my home. We took the kids up the gondola in Fort William. The views were breathtaking and truly grounding, away from the hustle and noise of the everyday news and chaos. It was peaceful and serene. We enjoyed a cup of coffee and then drove to Malig for some highly recommended lobster and chips. It was delicious. Onwards to sky. It felt like we were driving through a scene from Lord of the Rings. You really do have to experience it for yourself, as words do little justice. My son ran out of memory on his camera, trying to capture it all, and the baby, who was born in lockdown, took in all the views. We booked a gorgeous wee cottage in Portree, overlooking the bay and settled into our home, away from home. We visited Neist Point to see the most famous lighthouse in Scotland, which my son loved, and we watched the sunset, which was stunning. The people of Skye were so friendly, and at no point did I feel unsafe. Rules were respected everywhere we went, and for once, no interference by Covid. 
Everyone in restaurants wore face coverings. Everyone maintained their distance and there was no faff for paperwork. I felt very safe. We went to the famous fairy pools and it felt like being in the land before time. Sometimes in the everyday, we became so consumed with all the little pretty th petty things. We catastrophize and the world becomes insular and small. Here, surrounded by giant mountains all around us, with only the sounds of the waterfalls and sheep, I felt I could really breathe. It was so calm and it gave me a real sense of perspective. There are so many incredible walks in sky and we discovered a gorgeous beach. You know the reason we go abroad. The coral beach with crystal clear blue water was so beautiful. We didn't mind the fact it was cold. We all got in and finished the holiday off with more lobster and chips and oysters at the oyster shed. Why am I sharing all of this? Well, if like me, you haven't considered travelling around Scotland or are gutted to not be able to go abroad or are worried about safety in Covid times, why not take a road trip? We are already looking at booking our next Scottish holiday, says Dr. Poonam Krishan. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 26th of July 2021, from the news section, Laughable Government Answer to Glasgow MP on Unpaid Trial Shifts by Stuart Patterson, Political Correspondent. A Glasgow MP has said the UK government claim that the law on unpaid trial shifts was sufficient is laughable. Stuart Macdonald, Glasgow South SNP MP, asked UK Business Secretary Paul Scully if he will bring forward legislation banning the use of unpaid work trials at the outset of employment. In the light of recent articles in the Glasgow Times, Mr Macdonald said the response was shocking. Scully said, the existing legislation and enforcement are sufficiently robust to ensure that no worker undertakes an exploitative or un unpaid work trial. It is the responsibility of all employers to ensure they are paying their staff correctly and we will continue to take robust enforcement action against employers who fail to pay the minimum wage. The Glasgow Times reported how a law student was left in charge of a clothing store in Parkhead Ford on day one of a three-paid unpaid period. We previously reported on the petition started by a Glasgow waitress after she did an unpaid trial shift at a Bearsden restaurant. McDonald said, The UK government's claim that current enforcement against unpaid work trials is robust enough. It's almost laughable if it weren't so shocking, given the number of high-profile incidents recently. The culture of unpaid work is a scourge in society and the UK government must show its willingness to tackle this exploitative practice. Whilst the Tory government went out of its way to block previous legislation, there is a clear consensus across the country that unpaid trial shifts are pernicious and plainly unfair. It's high time this unfair practice was brought to an end and the UK government must bring forward legislation to end unpaid trial shifts and ensure a fair day's work gets a fair day's pay.
The MP had, in 2018, brought a bill to the House of Commons that would outlaw unpaid trial shifts, but it was talked out by Conservative MPs, so it was not able to progress to a vote of MPs. MacDonald also asked the Minister to explain what recent steps he has taken to assess the political merits of banning unpaid work trials at the outset of employment. He received exactly the same answer. In his answer, Scully, Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, said, Unpaid work trials are exploitative and are already against the law. When recruiting, an employer can ask an individual to carry out a short unpaid work trial to demonstrate that they have the skills required for the job. But if a work trial is excessively long or not part of a genuine recruitment purpose, employers must pay the participants at least the minimum wage. In that article was by Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 26th of July 2021, from the news section, Unions call for Glasgow City Council planning permission, embargo on McVitie's. Report by Lauren Gilmore, Facebook community reporter. Almost 80,000 union members have backed calls for Glasgow City Council to refuse any planning permission for the site of the McVitie's factory in Tollcross. The GMB union has penned a letter to councillors urging them not to prevent any planning permission for residential property or any similar development at the plot. Several union branches have given their banking to the move, including the Strathclyde University and College Union branch, as well as Glasgow politicians Paul Sweeney and Pauline McNeil. The GMB believes that if planters do not have to not agree on a plan to save jobs at the factory, then they should not be able to sell the plant at a profit. GMB Scotland organiser David Hume said, we have said we will explore every avenue and exhaust every option to save these skilled manufacturing jobs in the East End and this is why we are writing to every Glasgow City Councillor seeking their support. With the support of the Scottish Government and Glasgow City Council, the Action Group to Save the Jobs has formulated a robust and comprehensive counter-proposal which will be submitted to the company on Tuesday the 27th of July. We are clear that only if they agree to cooperate to save these jobs and protect the history of our local community should the land they own then be repurposed for residential use and then sold on for that purpose. Planners has been approached for comment. And that was a report by Lauren Gilmore. Evening Times, July 26. Lifestyle. Glasgow's Ted Hastings. City cop who led the Metropolitan Police Anti-Corruption Force. Report by Anne Fotheringham It is a long way from patrolling Glasgow's riverside to the lofty heights of the Met Police, but Sir David Blackstock McNee was a force to be reckoned with. McNee had to deal with everything from the Iranian embassy siege and the Brixton riots to the Buckingham Palace break-in during his time in charge of London's famous force. Born in Glasgow in 1925, McNee joined the Clydesdale Bank when he left school, but was called up to join the Royal Navy in 1943. In the Second World War, he was a telegraphist on HMS 
Empire Mace, seeing active service and being involved in the D-Day landings in Normandy. His obituary in our sister newspaper, The Herald, notes, On leaving the Navy after the war, he joined City of Glasgow Police in 1946 and in 1951 was appointed to the Marine Division in Govan as Detective Constable. He rose through the ranks and was appointed Assistant Chief Constable of Dunbartonshire Police in 1969, then becoming Chief Constable of City of Glasgow Police in 1971. In true Line of Duty style, and in a move worthy of Ted Hastings, McNee became Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police in 1977 and continued the investigations of Operation Countryman into corruption within the police, which had been instigated by his predecessor. The operation led to the Met getting rid of some 400 officers suspected of corruption. When evangelist Billy Graham came to Scotland in 1955, McNee was a sergeant on duty at the Crusade in Glasgow's Kelvin Hall. McNee was a member of St George's Tron Church, where he often sang at services. He was knighted in 1978 and retired in 1982, becoming honorary president of the Boys' Brigade. He died in April 2019. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Evening Times, July 26. Opinion. Climate change needs all our attention. Not just COP26 leaders, says Stuart Patterson. A little glimpse of the attitudes towards climate change was on display recently. A public event in St Enos Square to demonstrate the need for improved energy efficiency was taking place. For the next two weeks, there are two huts in the square. But as the people involved were making their speeches and outlining the scale of the challenge and actions needed, most people simply passed by. Two young men stopped very briefly. One said, what's this? Heard the snippet of a speech and looked at the information on one of the huts and then on their way they went. They went in high-vis vests and hard hats to a nearby construction site, having dismissed an event about the role that construction can play in reducing climate change. Yes, speeches about climate change can be dull and boring, and for those of us who are not scientists or climatologists, they can be difficult to understand. But we are all living with the consequences of climate change. We are all contributing to the causes and we can all take actions to help reduce it. Much stock is being put in the COP26 summit coming to Glasgow later this year. World leaders are expected to put their heads together and agree a plan to reach the targets set at the last significant COP in Paris six years ago. 
while they have a huge responsibility to set targets and ensure compliance within their countries, it is not only world leaders and governments who can and should be doing more to tackle climate change. We can all do something. It is how we are all living our lives in the 21st century that is the cause of climate change. Well, those of us in the wealthiest countries anyway. If we leave it to our leaders, who knows where we will end up? Donald Trump, a climate change denier, has held the USA efforts back when it, one of the biggest polluters, should be taking the most action. Boris Johnson has not exactly been consistent in his record on climate change, and many in his government are what could generously be called climate change sceptics. Many in positions of power are unwilling to take actions that they think could hamper economic growth. But economic growth depends on continued and increased consumption, which is adding to the problem of climate change. So, if it is markets they are worried about, the markets respond to demand and not a lot else. No demand, no production, which is where we, as individual consumers, come in. As long as we want to buy throwaway products, consume vast amounts of meat and use private transport more than we need to, unless government regulates, then nothing will change. There is still a sense that the COP26 is about big government, international politics and science. It is, but it is much more than that. It is about the rest of us trying to understand how this affects us now and in the future. How we can contribute to the effort to prevent it becoming even more of a catastrophe than it is and how those efforts will actually benefit our lives and our communities. The icebox challenge that the two construction workers dismissed is one example. Better insulated homes mean every household spending less on heating bills. Better constructed homes mean less maintenance cost, which means reduced bills for homeowners and should mean less chance of rent rises in the private sector. The construction industry and house building is just one of the many ways that we can be tackling climate change. The COP26 will be in Glasgow. It could be anywhere. But the fact it is in our city gives us an opportunity to understand more about climate change. It gives our governments, local and national, a responsibility to better explain the need for action. If it matters to people and we can see how it affects us, then people will take an interest. Look at the coronavirus pandemic. Pretty soon everyone was trying to understand what the R number was and people were paying attention to graphs and charts like never before. We all knew what flattening the curve was and how viruses spread was at the forefront of our minds. 
and because most of us could recognise this was a serious issue that affected all our lives, we wanted our governments to act and we also wanted to take individual actions ourselves. The same has to happen with climate change. It is of equal urgency. We all need to understand the immediacy of the problem. It is no longer a future problem. We all need to understand what we can do to make a difference and how it will bring benefits. Then, maybe, it won't be as easily dismissed, whether by a construction worker in Glasgow, a Prime Minister in Downing Street, or a no longer President in the White House. View of Stuart Patterson. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 20th of July 2021, from the news section, anger at complete tip of Glasgow's West End streets, by Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. People living in the west of the city have said litter and rubbish makes them want to avoid walking through the streets. After the Glasgow Times was contacted by local people to complain about the sight and smell of the streets in the morning, we took a walk along the streets. We saw bin bags burst open, with rubbish spilling out, gutters and pavements strewn with discarded bottles, masks and fast food takeaway cartons, and overflowing bins can be seen all along Dumbarton Road and Socky Hall Street, heading towards Channing Cross. Towards Charing Cross and Socky Hall Street, litter was strewn along the pavement for hundreds of metres and on the road near the Charing Cross fountain. People in the west of the city said it is detracting from the attractiveness of the area. Anne O'Neill, Broomhill. I am almost at the point now of avoiding walking into the city centre for work in the mornings due to the state that the streets are in. Between the stench and constantly having to dodge pieces of litter, and bin bags picked apart by seagulls, there's absolutely no joy in my morning walk anymore. The streets are strewn with litter and bins overflowing. The West End is a complete tip to until around 11am every morning. David Gregg, Partick, every morning the streets are plagued with overfilled bins and scattered rubbish. Bins have been torn open by birds causing litter to be spread all over the street. It's a shame to walk through beautiful parts of the West End whilst constantly trying to avoid litter on the streets. Jill Ferguson of Partick said, It's partly bins not being emptied often enough and people cramming too much into bins. It's not just the council, people need to change their habits. She said she often goes out with her litter picker and cleans up rubbish herself and also with a group, Partick Action on Litter. The resident said sometimes bins are not properly emptied and shared a photo of rubbish left inside the bin housing once a wheelie bin had been emptied. The Glasgow Times also saw overflowing recycling bins with household waste bags piled on top of an already full bin. A spokesman for the council said each year Glasgow spends around £100 million on environmental protection with waste collection and disposal accounting for most of this budget. By head of population, Glasgow spends twice the national average in street cleansing and their budget for street cleansing is year on year significantly greater than any comparable Scottish local authority. Unfortunately, 
the COVID pandemic does continue to have an impact on the delivery of services, with staff required to self-isolate and restrictions still in place in relation to the use of vehicles. But we are using all available resources to ensure bins and public places are emptied on schedule and that the street cleansing operations are as effective as possible. However, in every instance, the picture shared by the Glasgow Times, it is clear that the members of the public have not disposed of their waste appropriately. Either litter has been dropped in the street, recycling bins have been contaminated with general waste, domestic bins have been used for commercial waste, or larger items have been fly-tapped. In every instance, these incidents put unnecessary additional pressure upon her resources that could otherwise be deployed on the overall maintenance of the city. And that was a report by Stuart Patterson. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 28th of July 2021, from the news section, Creep Grab Woman's Bum in Glasgow City Centre Street in Broad Daylight, report by Lauren Brownlee. A creep left a woman visibly upset after he sexually assaulted her in the street in broad daylight. Neil Paul, 25, approached a woman who was standing on a girl street in Glasgow city centre last month. He grabbed her bum before apologising to her. At Glasgow Sheriff Court on Monday, Prosecutor Jennifer Gilmore explained that in the moments leading up to the assault, Paul was acting suspiciously outside an office building. She said, at around 9.55am on June the 11th, staff members working at the Optima building on Robertson Street observed the accused standing outside staring at another worker. An employee approached him and asked if he could help him. The accused stated he was waiting on someone. Paul, who was listed in the court papers as having no fixed address, was then asked to move away by the, st- by the staff member, and he did so. Ms Gilmore added, as he was walking away, the complainer was with her bike standing near the Radisson Blue Hotel. The, the accused approached her and grabbed her buttock area for a couple of seconds. She appeared shocked and upset by this. The accused was still beside her and said sorry. He then walked away. Paul's victim reported the incident to hostel staff and said that it had scared her. Police were contacted and traced Paul. His defence solicitor said he apologised almost instantly. He shouldn't have done it and he realises that. He realises that his behaviour was not appropriate. He regrets it very much so. He's been in custody for 45 days, which is equivalent to a 90-day sentence. Sheriff Alan Findlay sentenced Paul to 88 days in prison which meant he was released on Monday. The sheriff told him, This is unacceptable behaviour. You've done your time, but carry on like this and you're going to get serious time. And that report was by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 28th of July 2021, from the news section, Fire at St Simon's Church in Glasgow's Partick as nearby homes evacuated. By Jack Aitchison A church in the west end of Glasgow has been gutted by fire. Footage posted online at St Simon's Church in Partick's Bridge Street show the historic building up in flames. The alarm was raised at 2.40am 
with emergency services still in attendance. A tweet from the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service reads, More than 30 firefighters are currently in attendance at a large fire within a church in Bridge Street, Glasgow, after the alarm was raised at 2.40am. Nearby residents are advised to keep windows and doors closed. Adjacent properties have been evacuated as a precaution. The cause of the fire is not yet known. Twitter user at Kachiona wrote, We got woken up by walkie-talkie sounds. Fiancé went out and the church across the bridge had been completely destroyed in a fire within half an hour. St Simon's was beautiful to look at. And that piece was by Jack Gitchison. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 28th of July 2021, from the news section, Glasgow thug told cops, I'm up to my knees in Fenian blood. Report by Lauren Brownlee. A thug who told cops, I'm up to my knees in Fenian blood, has avoided being sent to prison. James McHugh made this statement to police officers who were speaking with him outside a casino in Glasgow city centre. The 57-year-old appeared at Glasgow Sheriff Court on Monday after previously pleading guilty to uttering sectarian remarks aggravated by religious prejudice on October the 5th, 2019. Prosecutor Jennifer Gilmore said, At around 1am, a witness was working as a taxi driver he picked up the accused and conveyed him to his destination. Police then had the cause to speak to the accused, who was outside Grovner Casino on Glassford Street. He became rude and aggressive towards the officers. He stated that the officers were Fenian B expletive deleted. He went on to state, I'm up to my knees in Fenian blood. The accused was cautioned and charged, and he continued to act in an aggressive manner. McHugh's defence solicitor explained the offence has since overtaken his client who resides in emergency homelessness accommodation through the Salvation Army in Springburn. The lawyer said, In September last year, he lost his leg due to diabetes, which he has had since he was 32 years old. He hasn't had a drink for the last 12 months. At the time of the offence, he was heavily intoxicated. Although there is absolutely no excuse for his behaviour, He's committed, he's committed plenty of crimes in the past. He's clearly unfit and can't do unpaid work, but he has recently completed a restriction of liberty order. The offence date itself is clearly quite old. Sheriff Alan Finlay made McHugh subject to a restriction of liberty order, which will see him tagged and required to stay at his address between 7pm and 7am for 80 days. He said, this is an alternative to custody. And that report was by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 28th of July 2021, from the news section, Moss Bank Drive, Glasgow cops rule out foul play in Hoganfield death. Report by Hamish Morrison. Foul play has been ruled out in an investigation into the death of a man in Glasgow earlier this month. We told previously how cops locked down streets in Glasgow's Hoganfield on July the 13th after a man's body was found. The death remains unexplained 
but we can now reveal the police have it determined there is no suspicious circumstances surrounding the 45-year-old's passing. A spokeswoman for the force said, The death of the 45-year-old man in Mossbank Drive, Glasgow, around 10.40am on Tuesday, July 13th, 2021, has been treated as unexplained but not suspicious. Police would not comment on the cause of death. And that piece was by Hamish Morrison. Evening Times, July 28th. Lifestyle. Meet the Glasgow builder responsible for world-famous bridges. Report by Michael Gallagher, Glasgow City Archives. Glasgow has given the world many great things, including some of the Victorian era's finest feats of construction. East End firm Sir William Arrow and Company was responsible for famous bridges here in Scotland and as far afield as Egypt and Australia. William Arrow was born in Houston in 1839 and spent his childhood in Johnston, where he worked in a local cotton mill, and Paisley, where he was a bobbin maker for JMP Coats, before becoming a blacksmith's apprentice aged 14. He started his own boiler-making company in Peel Street, Bridgeton, in 1868, then expanded into bridge building and public infrastructure works. One of Arrow's first big assignments came in 1876, the Caledonian Railway Viaduct over the River Clyde that ran into the new central station. Only the piers now remain, standing next to the second bridge, which was also built by Arrow early 20th century. The company was then entrusted with rebuilding the Tay Bridge, which had collapsed tragically in 1879, causing 75 deaths. Arrow's far superior replacement enhanced his firm's reputation further. The only downside was that it moved William McGonagall to pen a sequel to his poem, The Tay Bridge Disaster, often recognised as one of the worst of all time. Arrow won contracts for two high-profile projects, the Fourth Bridge and the Tower Bridge in London. The former took seven years to complete and at its peak employed 4,600 workers. It was the largest steel bridge in the world at the time. In July 2015, UNESCO designated it a World Heritage Site. Based at Dalmarnock Ironworks, the company continued to create bridges, cranes, workshops and more as Glasgow was emerging as a key industrial city. Arrows contained an in-house engineering division which gave it greater flexibility and enabled it to develop new techniques in fields such as drilling and riveting. Glasgow City Archives holds the records of Sir William Arrow and Company, which provide a fascinating insight into the company and its work. William, who was knighted in 1890, 
was known for his boundless energy and strong work ethic. He often rose at 4am to pore over every detail of his projects. During one particularly busy spell, he is said to have spent Monday and Tuesday at the Fourth Bridge, Wednesday at the Tay Bridge, Thursday at his works in Dumarnock, then Friday and Saturday in London, working on Tower Bridge. Thankfully, he took Sundays off. Sir William passed away in 1913, leaving behind a personal fortune of £337,456, around £20 million today. Perhaps more importantly, he left a spectacular legacy of Glasgow's industrial pre-eminence, which is still felt around the world. Report by Michael Gallagher of Glasgow City Archives. Evening Times, July 28. Opinion. David MacDonald says, North Glasgow will finally reconnect with city life. This weekend, the rebirth of North Glasgow reaches a really significant milestone. Half a century after the M8 motorway cut off entire neighbourhoods from the heart of Glasgow, the new bridge reconnecting the city centre with the North communities will be slotted into place. The bridge itself, with its characteristic weathered steel, looks spectacular and it will no doubt quickly become a city landmark. But what it symbolises and what it will deliver for residents is much more important. North Glasgow went neglected and ignored for decades, suffering more than most from the dereliction which came with the collapse of heavy industry. Residents have rightly felt that they have long played second fiddle to other areas perceived as a greater priority. The new site hill rapidly taking shape, less than a mile from the city centre, is the first large-scale sign of that northern renaissance. An entire new neighbourhood with almost 1,000 new homes, school, sports facilities and green spaces, it will welcome its first new residents in just a few months' time. But that's just the start. Land once used for heavy industry or housing, but lying derelict for generations, soon to be the location for major housing developments. Cowlayers, Dundas Hill, Hamilton Hill and Rock Hill, historic neighbourhoods long associated with a sense of abandonment, will soon be home to more new communities. When Glasgow Times readers see stories with big, almost abstract figures of £450 million grants and jargon-heavy details of the Council's housing investment plans, this is what it translates into as in the real world. New communities, new homes, new lives and new beginnings. Well before our city was named as the host city for COP26 
The United Nations recognised the massive inroads our city had made in regenerating its communities. They hold us up as a global example of how to do this stuff. Now, these areas of North Glasgow will be the locations for the best, most cutting-edge and energy-efficient homes in neighbourhoods where the well-being of residents and communities is central. The city has recognised that bricks and mortar in themselves are not enough. The experience of COVID and growing importance of green space and nature within the climate change agenda has really reinforced that. Just a couple of weeks back, I ventured out of my polo comfort zone for a wander round the clay pits, the fantastic new nature reserve along the banks of the canal in the north of the city. Less than a mile from the city centre, and not far from the Sight Hill Bridge, it will provide access to nature in the most urban of settings, with active travel routes and stunning views across the city. It's another milestone for the north this weekend, with the official opening of the clay pits taking place on Saturday. And none of this is to forget the needs of our long-established communities in the north and the grassroots work enabling flourishing and thriving neighbourhoods. I was delighted to see that just last month, the Council award £1.4 million to the Postle Park Community Hub to allow its construction and the local community to take charge of a valuable new asset. And further up the road, financial support has allowed the Council to work with the North United Communities Group to deliver the Milton Family and Community Centre, again enabling locally-led grassroots services in neighbourhoods which need them most. All of which takes me back to the bridge. Change can sometimes be long overdue, and when it comes, the pace could always be quicker. Covid certainly has not helped. But with the bridge, we are seeing a symbol of an increasingly confident and vibrant part of our city. We are seeing new connections and new beginnings, and the weekend will see the physical manifestation of that. The North time has come again. Return to term time. Younger city residents will not thank me for the reminder, but the new school year will soon be upon us. Let's hope that after 18 months of serious disruption and valiant responses by teachers, school staff, parents, carers and pupils, that COVID no longer plays havoc with the education of our young people. All going to plan with the easing of restrictions, the new school year promises to be transformative for thousands of Glaswegian families. With the start of the term, all city council and partner nurseries will be offering 1140 free hours to preschool children. Not only does that free up 
hard-pressed family finances, but it gives parents and carers the flexibility to re-engage with the world of work and training. We know that childcare is one of the biggest contributors to in-work poverty and barriers to professional progression, so this will be welcomed by so many. The rollout of 1140 hours has also required us to recruit and train around 1,000 new nursery staff and invest in our nursery estate. That's not to mention the impact the continuity of care and early years education will have for young children. This is a policy Glasgow has been at the vanguard of. It wasn't always easy to build the necessary capacity and COVID again was a major hurdle. But I believe we now have one of the most socially progressive policies which will benefit so many families across our city in so many ways. And two years after their introduction, it's great to see that starting from August and rolled out across the school year. 30 more city primaries will join the 25 or so already part of our car-free zone scheme. Our research has shown that car-free zones lead to significantly fewer vehicles at school gates for when the bell goes, making it much safer for children to get to and from school. With camera roads around those schools, there are greater opportunities for children to come and go safely from school by walking, wheeling or cycling, which is great for health and well-being. A reduction in traffic congestion is also a major contributor to better air quality for our young people, says David MacDonald. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.